0: welcome to mark in the wild the podcast for people who live for their time outdoors from hiking and biking to canoeing and kayaking snowshoeing skiing camping climbing and more if it takes you outside into nature into the woods onto the water it's fair game for this podcast so please stay tuned for our next episode welcome to mark in the wild today's episode is about an exciting trend in backcountry hiking and camping a trend that quite frankly caught me totally by surprise, and that is using llamas as pack animals. And my guest, Bo Beatty, is one of the folks at the forefront of this trend. Bo, together with his wife Kirsten, owns and runs Wilderness Ridge Trail Llamas based in Idaho Falls, Idaho. Welcome, Bo.
1: Hey, Mark. Thanks for having me, man. It's cool.
0: I did a little bit of Google, and um, apparently they seem to be related to the camel. Is that correct?
1: Yep, it is. Yeah, it's kind of a distant cousin. They're the uglier cousin, but uh, still cousins nonetheless.
0: (laughs) And I guess they migrated over the Bering Land Bridge a long, long time ago and worked their way through North America into South America and then died out in North America, and the only remaining um, examples were in South America, and they were bred by Incas for a lot of different things, correct?
1: Yep, that's exactly right.
0: So there's... There's work. This is what I try, I'm trying to figure out. There's working llamas, and then there's show. There's all different kinds of llamas. And what are the, what are the llamas that you guys use?
1: Yeah, pretty much all, all working llamas. And when the Inco is breeding the llamas, they had different focuses, you know, basically meat production, wool production, and then work. And uh, that's basically what we're left with now and a total assembly of lots of different mixes and everything in between.
0: But yeah. So, so how did you get into this?
1: You know, that's a great question. So I'm a fifth generation rancher horse outfitter and um, grew up with horses and mules, and I never really enjoyed riding them. I really appreciated and respected horses and mules, but I I loved packing them, loved trailing them. I wasn't a big fan of riding. And my dad used to always get after me for walking the mules. And uh, when I went to college, I couldn't afford to keep horses or mules. And I started backpacking and to uh, hunting. And once we got a couple elk and we were packing them out on our backs, I was like, there's got to be a better way. <laughs> and I started researching everything, you know, burros, goats, llamas. I actually bought all three species and I rented a little pasture. And after a couple of years, the llamas just kind of won my heart. And it seemed to be it. And so from there is so where we started.
0: So, so, the, so talk about horses for a second. I mean, the horse is sort of the iconic Western image, right? You've got a, a, an outfitter on a horse, a string of pack horses. You've got the sports on their horses following up. And it's just, it, it's what you think about when you think about outfitting in the West, when you think about in, getting into the backcountry, I personally am scared to death when I'm on a horse. I'm, I'm not a particularly good rider. I've been kicked. I've been bucked off. I've been the unwilling participant in, in what the outfitter called a horse wreck which basically ended with horses all up and down the side of the mountain, gear spread everywhere, and a bunch of us just sitting on our asses on the trail trying to figure out what the hell happened, because one horse, for some inexplicable reason, decided to go crazy. But what is it about, what is it about llamas that, that makes them more adaptable or easier to use for, for packing?
1: You know, <clears throat> there's lots of differences, to be honest with you, but, and there's some parallels as well. But I think one of the biggest things is just their inherent nature. For example, horses, when horses are scared or angry or frustrated or whatever, their defense mechanisms is such that they're just going to kick, run away, and buck. Now, llamas, when they're in those same similar type situations, uh, they're used for guard animals across the world. They approach they approach the situation versus running away from it. They don't kick. And so if they're really threatened, they'll stomp their front feet and or spit. And so those, I think that kind of sums up basically the difference of the two animals as far as like, it's just in their DNA to be different and you just can't change a horse's stripes and you can't change a a llama's stripes, so to speak. And so there's a lot of other differences, but, just basically, how they are and how they react to danger, being threatened, uh, upset,
0: afraid, all those things.
1: Uh, that, that core value of them is just
0: different, so, so they don't buck and bolt exactly. Correct, I mean, don't, I mean, don't get me wrong. I mean, I've seen guys out west, I've been on a number of trips where you know, I've, I've watched an outfitter, I've watched somebody who's grown up on horses just you know, do things on horses that are just amazing. And the, the rider has a connection to the horse that, that is, is just unbelievable. But for, you know, the average guy who doesn't spend that much time around horses, when I get around them, I just, uh, man, it just, it just makes me really nervous.
1: Oh yeah. Yeah. And I totally understand that. And to be honest with you, um, even among horse people, there's people that are really good and there's most people um are just average, and there's a lot of people that aren't good at all. And uh, someone that rides every day and is out on the range working cows, and um, they just have a knack because they have to, right? They have to be really good at it. And um, so does the horse. But for a horse to be really good, they have to be bred well and they have to be trained well, and they have to have lots of hours. Llamas, you know, you don't need to put as much time into them as you do a horse. But the more time you put into them, the better they'll typically be.
0: How many how many llamas do you have in your herd now?
1: Um, you know what? I think we have just over 500, and I think we've got about 70 babies coming this spring. Wow.
0: And you've got all of them in one place?
1: Essentially, yeah. I mean, we have a couple different ranches here in eastern Idaho, and so we keep them males at one and young llamas at another, and then all the moms and babies here at my house so I can watch them closely.
0: And how much training goes into one before you can actually rely on it to be a pack animal?
1: You know, um, that's a good question. I don't know if I have a great answer for it because like we'll do a llama when they're ready to go, they should be four or five years old, but at 12 months old, they know how to put on a halter and lead around like, you know, like like all at most animals. And they jump in and out of the trailer about age two. I expect they to know how to take the saddle and go up and down the trail and, by age three, I kind of expect them to know almost everything that a an expert knows. But uh, we train them over time. We don't expect them to know it all real quick, and I think that helps us have uh, just better mannered animals. You know, they really enjoy the work then, and so I would say with an animal by age four or five, we'll have you know maybe thirty or forty hours of hands-on training. Over, spread out over a few years and so um yeah
0: so there's um i was i was re- looking at something there's there's something different about their their hooves in terms of um ver- a ho- horse has to wear a steel shoe right you have a you have a, sh- a horseshoe, and that to me seems like that's a little bit slippery sometimes on some different trails but a llama's got th- is it more like a deer's foot more like a deer's foot than a horse would be for sure. And so they have they're split toed, right?
1: And so they have two toes and they're split and they have a soft like pad on the bottom of their heel and up through their toes. And then they have a toad now that kind of wraps up and around. Um, they're pretty unique. You know, they're similar to camels, but also very different from camels. And uh, yeah, pretty, actually, Alpacos almost basically have the same feet.
0: So what what are we talking about in terms of weight and size for like a male? Yeah, that's a great question. You know, males and
1: females are typically going to be the same height and the same weight. And uh, there's llamas, like for example, an adult alpaca will be 160 to 180 pounds. An adult uh, pack llama, you you hoping they're close to 400 or just over 400 pounds. And ideally, you're looking for they measure them at the top of the shoulder. It's a pretty standard um <clears throat> working long or working breed characteristic. And so at the withers though, measure them. And you're looking for somewhere between 46 and 50 inches at the shoulder.
0: And how much weight can they carry?
1: You know, we typically expect our animals to carry 80 pounds as a standard load. And that's kind of day in and day out. That's a working load. They can obviously carry substantially more. That's a really good long term uh life longevity. Um, weight that we expect them to carry all
0: right now 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 we're in now we're in canoe camping territory. that's why I like to canoe camp, <laughs> so that's a lot of gear,
1: yeah, you got it, man
0: so if you're if you're running a group of people does each individual walk his own llama or do you tie them off in a in a line like you would with a string of pack horses?
1: um, you can do both. We're trainer llamas to be able to do kind of anything within that realm. It's more fun and more interactive when each person takes their own llama, and that's about the style. Like we, if we have ten people on a trip, we try to have ten llamas, one per person. And that gear-wise, equipment, food, that pretty much works out all the way up to like a ten-day trip. Wow, and wow. So it's kind of our system.
0: Yeah, it looks. I was looking at your website. It looks. It just looks really friendly to be walking down the trail leading your llama with your gear on its back it just it looks like it would be a really pleasant way i mean i've i've done my share of backpacking um Especially, if, you know, I'm on the East Coast, so I'm at sea level. I come out west; it takes me a couple of days to acclimate. You know, to put a 40 or 50 pound pack on my back, there's no way I can go up the side of a hill until I've completely acclimated to the to the altitude. So, I would imagine also for for people coming in from from the outside that are not acclimated, it's much easier to just have a small day pack and and lead your llama than uh, than to try to hump a 40 or 50 or 60 pound pack up the side of a mountain.
1: Oh yeah, definitely. You know, I think those those are fun trips too when you're packing the heavy loads. But uh, for the general uh, purpose of being in the backcountry, it's extremely enjoyable and rewarding to have someone that wants to be there with you in the sense of a llama and carries the weight freely and easily, and uh, it makes it a lot more comfortable, you know. And your mind, when you're hiking down the trail with a 50 pound pack, your mind only thinks about so much. And when you're packing a Doing the same thing with a 10 pound pack with leading a llama that's chipper as can be, your mind thinks about different things, and it's a pretty nice mental space to be in, to be honest with you.
0: Seems much more relaxing,
1: it is, yeah, yeah, it's a good way to enjoy the wild for
0: sure. So, what's the difference between a llama and an alpaca?
1: Yeah, so, um, they're they're you know, interesting enough, they can't interbreed most of the time. And uh alpacas are just a lot smaller and bred almost exclusively for their wool and for their meat. And uh they're a little bit more honoring as a as a species goes, you know, they're kind of grumpy generally, and there's obviously lots of good ones out there, but uh they're pretty feisty, a lot smaller, and so they'll be, you know, forty to forty two, forty three inches at the shoulder. And uh and then <clears throat> they'll be 160 to maybe 180
0: pounds. So you guys are running programs pretty much all spring and summer for, for hiking, backpacking, going into the backcountry, And then you're also doing stuff in the fall for hunters. Is that correct?
1: That's right. Yep. So
0: yep. Which, which, which tends to be more popular? Where do where do you tend to get more of your, have more of your trips concentrated?
1: You know, I would say the summer. It's it's really the same, but the fall is short for us. I would consider the fall to be sixty days, September and October. But the summer we start all the way back in you know first part of uh, March. So that's what we consider our summer season. We're down in southern Utah, offering uh, really remarkable trips on the Red Rock deserts, throughout the national park scenes down there, and so it's just longer. We're at full capacity from March all the way through October, end of October. And so the hunt, the fall season is just so short, you know, and we're very busy, but um, the length of seasons are very different.
0: And are most of the trips guided? So you would have a, you have a, you assemble a group of of people that come in and then you have a guide that runs the show.
1: Yep. I would say 80% of our trips are guided and 20% are self guided or, you know, do it yourself style trips where people, they need gear and equipment and they need, uh, llamas We run them through a small half-day training course and then they go to the back country by themselves and most of them have traveled the back country before whether they're fishing camping hunting family recreating or whatever it is and that part of our business that segment of our business continues to grow and take more percentage over time which we're really grateful for um the diy people are super fun to work with
0: You know, I remember one time a long time ago, I was out kicking around the Madison River Valley, and we were heading into Ennis, and we went by this little, little ranch operation. And I remember one of the local guys that was with me in the truck. He just sort of turns to me and he goes, "Oh yeah, that's the crazy lady that raises llamas." (laughs) Yeah, there's. Believe it or not, what's the what's the reaction? I mean, when you're on the trail and you come up upon people on horseback, is there is there you know, what's the protocol? What's the reaction? You you guys are with your llamas. Somebody else has got a packed string of horses. How does that all work out? What are the politics around that?
1: You know, you know, the, the honest answer is typically there's the horse folks typically have some type of animosity towards the llama people, but not always. Sometimes they're really great. And the people that have the best horses, the, mo- the most versed, well-trained, they're great to work with. They don't really care too much, but the people that have young horses or horses that don't have the experience that they're needed. Their horses are freaking out and they don't like the llamas and the llamas don't care at all. They, they don't even pay attention. They just keep eating the grass and hiking on the trail. And so that's typically what happens, but the, the protocol for us, and this is what we teach in our, in our llama classes and manuals and to all of our staff and DIY llama runners is when you come across a group of horses, as um, soon as you hear them or see them stop send a runner to go greet the group let them know you have llamas and then ask the horse group what their preference is do you want us to go off trail uphill or downhill do you want us just to hold still and you'll go around us do you want us to go around you and uh, the forest service has all types of uh you know right away rules and i find them to be very helpful as guidance but most of the time people aren't aware of them so i think the best thing to do is just approach a horse group or you know another livestock group in general and just say hey What do you want us to do? And so I always talk upon myself to be the person to start the conversation and just be very lenient of whatever they ask you to do.
0: Yeah. I've been on some of those side hill trails and you, you, you can't get two horses to pass each other going in an opposite direction. So somebody has got to give way. Someone's got to give way. Yep. And yeah. So I think that that's that rule of thumb has really
1: guided us through a lot of
0: situations. So is there a, an association. I, I also did a little bit of research. It appears, uh, like I said when when we first started talking, this 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 whole thing kind of this trend caught me by surprise. And I was I was online looking around, and there are other operations around the country. There's one in the Great Smoky Mountains. There's one in Vermont. There's one in Taos, New Mexico. Apparently, this is this is something that's really kind of taken off in a lot of places around the country.
1: Yeah, um, you know, I think it's been around forever. You know, obviously, because llama's been on landscape for thousands of years, but uh, you know, as far as recreating and using the animals uh, for commercial packing, I think the social media and the new age of marketing and just receiving and seeing information quickly has basically bought, brought it to the forefront of people's uh, minds, and it's uh, it's a it's great timing. You know, people are very about eco friendly. And preserving the landscape and uh, enjoying the out- outdoors as much as possible. And llamas make, you know, fit all those kind of marks. And then they also make it really fun. And so it's been really good. I think timing has a lot to do with it.
0: Yeah, I would think that the environmental impact would be less if you're talking about a smaller, lighter animal with a, with, that doesn't have a, a metal shoe in terms of churning up trails and, and and the impact that it would have on the environment. It's probably a little bit more friendly.
1: Yeah, absolutely. You know, and if you look at it, um, one person, one human in the back country versus one llama, llamas uh, do more good and less harm than humans do, you know? And so until they say no humans in the back country, uh, llamas uh, should be able to, you know, bound alike like and hike all through the back country.
0: So Did you have to get special permits for some of the areas that you operate in?
1: Yeah, every single one of them. That's the biggest barrier to entry in, in the industry if you're going to work on public lands is are those permits, you know, the commercial use, use authorizations. And uh, that's kind of been my life's work besides raising the llamas and trying to preserve the working breed. Getting those permits has uh, been a big part of our our company.
0: So there's basically there's state and there's federal. So if you're on a if you're are you like can you operate in some place like Yellowstone?
1: Yep, we operate in Yellowstone National Park, uh, which is obviously regulated by the Department of the Interior. And then we operate in places like the Wind River Range in Wyoming, the Wyoming Range in Wyoming, the Grovant and Jedi Smith Wilderness. Then uh, probably my favorite place that we operate are the different uh Forest Service districts down in southern utah that's very captivating become by far my favorite place to operate
0: you ever been in the frank church in idaho
1: yeah yeah i've been going there since i was 14 and uh,
0: i love it yeah i've done one trip there i decided i wasn't man enough to go back <laughs> yeah it takes your breath away doesn't it there's no there's nothing flat nothing i mean fl- that's it there's there's nothing flat it's just either up or down there's no flat i just I spent a week there and I just, I got out of there and I looked, I looked around and I said, all right, I'm done. I'll, i I'm just not man enough for this.
1: Yeah, it's a wild place. It's a, uh, something that everyone should probably see once in their life.
0: So what about the, what about the gear, the paint ears? The, the, do you make that stuff yourself or is there a source for it now?
1: There are a few other sources for it and you know, we recommend a few of them, but we also, we build hundred percent of our own gear. Um, all of our lead ropes, saddles, blankets, panniers, um, stakeouts, stakeout leads, um, everything. We've kind of developed our own little system that we feel like is, you know, bulletproof and trail tested. And um, people um, like it. We uh, Every time we come back into stock on our supplies, it's just a few days and we sell out entirely. So, uh, yeah, it's been hard to keep up on that front, actually.
0: So how, how organized is your breeding program? Are you bringing in stock from, from South America or are you pretty much self-supporting now?
1: Right now we're self-supporting and, uh, we're always trying to bring in new genetics, the complications of importing animals or exporting for trade or anything like that. It's a uh, very, very difficult, very costly. And, um, the quarantine process to get into the United States and then out of certain countries, has made it uh, almost impossible. But uh, we're still working on it. We've got a few
0: leads that we're chipping away at. So, And do you are llamas sheared at any point during the season? Um, we shear our llamas
1: maybe two or three times in their lifetime um, at the most. The llamas that we're breeding, they're all short wool llamas, and they have a dual coat. And so they'll shed it out much like uh, in a horse's wool after winter.
0: So you're not so there's no real use for the for the coat like an alpaca.
1: You definitely can,
0: and we save it. What
1: we've done with all that when we trim the llamas or we brush them out and we save their hair, the guard hairs and stuff, we actually have been using it and putting it in bags. And then we just insulated one of our barns with it.
0: That's an interesting application. I wouldn't have thought of that one. <laughs> yeah, just
1: got really high R values. You know,
0: might as well. So where's this all going? Is this is this gonna be your life's work? Is this what you guys are gonna do? You're doing this as a family affair, correct?
1: Yep. Yeah, yeah, we're pretty much in it now. This is kind of the foreseeable future. And we do with with ranching, there's a lot of side things, right? You have to we do a lot of fabricating on a ranch and so we do a lot of side work and um we're pretty much busy twelve months out of the year now just running the the business, but every once in a while we'll take on a we build some commercial uh, buildings and hay barns and stuff. So we'll take on a project now and then just to break up the, the farm and ranch life and guiding. But yeah, it's amazing how much it takes to run a business these days. And we have about 25 staff that work um, year round. And then we hired on quite a few summer staff.
0: So the other places that you're operating out of, what do you do at the beginning of the season? You, you ship animals out to those locations and then keep them on site there.
1: That's exactly right. We have a usually a couple acres, you know, or maybe up to 10 or 15. And then we have a warehouse and guide housing and all of our gear and equipment. And we just have our hub operation and run out of that for the season.
0: you got a lot of moving parts and pieces. A lot of moving parts.
1: Yeah. People like, well, how do you get started? I was like, well,
0: that's the easy part, you know. So what's harder to manage, people or llamas? Oh people
1: 10 to 1
0: there you go i knew that was going to be the answer yeah
1: i don't mind people you know you gotta it's but working with llamas is so dang fun and uh, they're just they're pretty simple creatures and they're easy to please
0: and so do they recognize you i mean when you walk out do they do they know it's you do they is there some kind of an interaction i mean i'm used to My, you know, I come home, my dog's all over me, you know, I, he knows who I am, et cetera, et cetera. But do do the llamas, do you you have like a personal connection to them? Do they know you versus your wife? I mean, do they, do do, do they have that much of a connection?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, they're so sensitive, you know, and I tell people, it's like, think about watching a horse, a dog or a llama and watch a fly land on its nose. They know it's there, and they'll try to move it, move their nose so the fly leaves. I mean, they're so sensitive to touch and feel, and emotion that uh, they know exactly who you are, how you've treated them, and what kind of bond you share, and they'll never forget it. You know, I sold llamas to other breeders in the past, and then bought those llamas back. And when I brought them back to the ranch, I couldn't believe how excited they were. <laughs> they were um, to be, you know, home again. It was pretty cool
0: interesting they are cute i was looking at the website my daughter was 14 years old she's looking over my shoulder and now she wants one of course she's like can we have a llama yeah yeah
1: <laughs> yeah i don't know what it is within our society but i would say over the last probably 10 years llamas just you know started showing up in verizon commercials and um on there's books about them and and there was a kid's sh- you know tv shows about them and All these things, I'm like, where do the llamas all of a sudden come out of the blue, you know? And coincidentally, we started our ranch, you know, a few years before that. And it was a good thing. It was just timing. It was great.
0: Well, like I said, it just, I was, this this whole thing kind of caught me by surprise. And then I started doing the research and I'm like, okay, there's a lot of other places around the country where you can, where people are doing essentially the same thing, maybe on a smaller scale. But um, Smuggler's Notch in Vermont, they have, they have llama walks. And the Great Smoky Mountains. There's an outfitter there who's taking people into that into that area, and in Taos, New Mexico. I didn't even get the whole list of everywhere that they were available, but it's, it seems like it's just kind of like this new thing, and you're you're right on the on the leading edge of it.
1: Yeah, I, you know, to be honest with you, I haven't really thought about it till probably a year or so ago, and I realized that uh, you know we've just been really blessed in that way, and just good timing and fortunate in a lot of ways, and. You know, we invested in in the llamas and this lifestyle before, and people told us that we were crazy and asked us what we were doing and, you know, belittled us in many ways. And we just kept doing it because we just believed in it so much. And now I feel like we've been been able to contribute significantly to the preservation of the working llama breed and then uh, offer people really cool adventures um, in the backcountry as well as obviously lifestyle for ourselves.
0: So how can um, how can people get a hold of you?
1: You know, our website is probably the best place. They can just go to. We have two websites. One is Wilderness Ridge Trail Llamas, and the other one is Wilderness Ridge Adventures. And uh, yeah, that's kind of where we operate all of our stuff now.
0: Well, Bo Beatty, I appreciate the time, and um, I'll I'll post that information when I post this episode, and uh, hopefully, I'll get out there someday and I'll I'll go for a hike with a llama.
1: All right, man. I really appreciate it. Thanks for the time. And yeah, I appreciate it, Mark.
0: Okay, you take care. This has been another episode of Mark in the Wild. Thanks for listening and please subscribe.